Jordan, I don't need a mic. Okay. You guys can hear me okay? You might not want. <laughs> hey, I I love coming to Salt. My heart is for you to get to know God in a new way. To, to, to really realize who God is in our life and begin to walk that out and to worship Him. I, I do have to say thank you. I don't know if you were all here two years ago at the retreat over in Eastern Washington, but I do have to say thank you so much for praying for me. I had a major accident, and uh, it took quite a while. I'm still in recovery, but I covet your prayers for that because I had a miraculous recovery, I mean, faster than they ever expected. I really appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. So, here's where we're going. Uh, you guys are the next generation that's going to take the message of Christ here, near, and far. And every one of us is here for a reason this weekend. Now, you may think that you're here because, hey, it's a retreat time, it's weekend, get away from the home, brothers, sisters, mom, dad, job, um, party, games, mafia. Guess what? God has a different that's not the reason. That is not the reason. I think all that stuff is really great and it's really fun and it's great to do. And that's part of a retreat. But every one of us, you know, I, I thank God in his eternity looked down the corridors of time from beginning to end. And he knew today, February 10th, tomorrow the 11th and Sunday the 12th, that you and you... You and you, every one of us would be right here for a purpose and a reason. And that reason isn't just about having fun. It's about God wanting to touch our hearts. It's about God wanting to touch our spirits. It's about God wanting to change our mind and our thinking about who He is. Now, if we could, if we could somehow tap into that as believers in Christ, if we could somehow just tap into that, open up our hearts and our minds and our spirits to what God wants to do through His Holy Spirit in us this weekend. I think on Sunday, we can walk away from here totally, totally change the respect who God is in That's my prayer and my hope for us. Now, it, not just to be a better person, to be a better sister or brother, or musician or singer, those are all great things, but to be more and more conformed to the image and likeness Christ. You realize that's God's purpose for us? From the very beginning in Genesis, his whole purpose for us is to be conformed to his image. And we're going to talk this weekend, spend some time tonight about talking about a, what I'd call a secular worldview and a biblical worldview. And, and guess what? We need as followers of Christ to have a biblical worldview. I think there's great mixture today in the body of Christ between a secular worldview and a biblical worldview. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about sanctification. And what is that? What is, what is sanctification in our life? How, what does that look like? And then how do we start walking that out as followers of Christ? How do we really start to let God sanctify who we are? And it, guess what? It's a lifelong process. It never stops. 
God is always about changing who we are. From the time we were born to the time we go home, we are in this sanctification process. Scripture says that he takes us from glory to glory to glory. I'm going to use the creation story to talk a little bit about our biblical worldview. Now, I know Christians sent out to you guys, um, hey, you guys read chapters 1, 2, and 3 of Genesis. And I know 50% of you have probably picked up the Bible to read it. 30%? 20%? So, picked it up, started reading, oh, I know this story. I've read this before, I don't know. And maybe two or three or four of you, maybe you read it, I don't know. But I want to give you a different perspective on the creation story that should influence our biblical worldview. From the very beginning in Genesis, when Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit created everything that we are living in, should really influence how we look at our life. And it should influence our biblical worldview. So let me warn you, you're probably going to hear some things that you might not have heard before. But I'm going to stick right with the Bible. I'm not going to give you any heresy. I'm not going to give you my own opinion. If I do, I'll tell you. That's just my But I'm going to stick with the Bible. And I, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit will illuminate His word of truth to our heart and our spirit. And one thing you're probably going to hear me use this word about a million times this weekend. Because it's all about the grace of God. We are saved by, through, absolutely. It's the grace of God in our life. One other thing. My wife, her and I always say this, and I want, I want you to get this in your spirit. The word of God demands a response. Anytime we hear the word of God, anytime we read the word of God, anytime we're involved in the word of God, I believe it demands response. We just shouldn't pick up the Bible and read it and say, yeah, that's a good story. Or listen to a Sunday sermon and say, that was great. Oh, that was a great message from Pastor Michael. And then just go on about it. And that's usually what happens. Is we hear something, we read something, and then we don't take it in deep enough to let it affect our lives. I want to give you some ideas on how we can change that this week. Christian asked me, uh, if I would send him some of the scriptures I'm going to be using this weekend. I said, yeah, I'll do it. And I didn't do it until Christian decided. Because I had a bunch of scriptures that we're going to talk about. And so rather than sending this list, what I want to do is I'll give you a scripture tonight that I want you to think about, dwell on, and let it illuminate, let, let it go in your spirit, start thinking about it, maybe discuss it in the questions that we have. And then tomorrow I'll probably give you one in, in, in the afternoon one on Sunday. So I don't want to overload you. Scripture. But here's the first one I want you to think about. It's Romans 12, 1 and 2. It's my life verse. And here's what it says. By the way, I use the New King James Version Bible, so some of the words might sound funny to you. I'll, I'll try and explain it to you. So you get it. A lot of people use ESV or NIV. I just bought an ESV Bible because that's what I'm on. Starting transition that for years. I've been in New King James. But here's the scripture, Romans 12, 1 and 2. This Paul, and he says this. My dear brothers and sisters, I beseech you, I implore you, I encourage you. Offer your body as a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable act of service. And then he says this. No longer be conformed 
molded, shaped into the patterns of the world. He said, but be transformed by how? By the renewing of your mind. Why? So that we may prove what is the good and perfect will of God. Hmm. So something has to happen up here for something to have to happen here for me to start to walk it out. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Ephesians also talks about having a change in mind. That word transformed, the Greek is metamorphosis. You know what metamorphosis is? That's when a caterpillar goes into a cocoon, changes into a butterfly. What went in is completely different than what came out. That's what God's looking for out of our minds. To be transformed into love. Into the image and likeness of Christ. You'll see in the very beginning in Genesis, that was his plan. You'll see it in the New Testament, in Romans, all through Scripture. Being conformed, transformed into the image and likeness of our big issue is we allow the world, the patterns of the world, to shape us and form us rather than the Word of God. So let me tell you, give you a definition of what, what I think a secular worldview is and then what a biblical worldview is. So everybody has a worldview. Every one of us has a worldview. Um, from, the, from the pygmy tribes in the Congo all the way to Joe Biden. They all have a worldview. And everybody has a philosophy of how the world works. Every one of us. And a worldview is simply the way that we look at life, the way we perceive things. That, that's a worldview. It's based on how we look at life and how we perceive things. Everyone has this lens or this filter that we look at the world through. And the way we look at the world makes all the difference in the world of how we relate to each other and how we live. Because that's how we form our opinions. It's based on our view. So we interpret life through this lens. Um, when bad things happen, when, what's our purpose for living? Why, why do we do this? What happens here? We all have a view of how that happens. And I'm going to give you some ideas on how that gets formed. But as followers of Christ, we should have a biblical world view. And that means that all of our life, you're going to hear me say this all the time, either all or everything. All of our life, everything that we do, everything that happens to us, needs to be viewed through the lens of Scripture. It needs to be viewed through the Word of God. Because that is the only way we're going to be able to live life according to the way that God's called us to. We have to look at, at our life through the lens of Scripture. I believe, and I'm sure you all do too, because you are followers of Christ, right? That the Bible is inspired, inerrant, infallible, absolute truth, perfect word. There, there's nothing in it that is, is in error. And if we don't believe that, we should understand why. Because it is the word of truth. What did Jesus say? He was what? The way, the and the is, is there anything missing from that? The way, everything we do, the truth of our life, and love. That's Jesus. That's who he is. But here, sadly, most believers 
they, they can't really put their hands or their minds around the biblical worldview because they really don't know the Bible. They really don't know Christ. Because they haven't taken the time to understand who he is, to study it, to go through scripture, to, to realize, hey, this is who Christ is, this is who I need to pattern my life after, and this is the way I need to walk my life. We really don't know the way we should who Christ is. Some of us might. Listen, everybody we live around today, they most people outside of, of Cascadia, except within Cascadia, they, they have a, uh, basically the same worldview. Because it's all based on what happens outside of the Word of God. I mean, listen, 85 years of public education has defined a worldview for most people. And the last 10 years, it's really gotten bad. But that's how their worldview is being defined. And I mean, it, it's, they end up, if you base it on scripture or don't base it on scripture, there's this huge confusion between the two. So here's how a person's worldview is formed. First of all, it's by civilization, civilization that we live in the society we're in, the value system, customs, arts, our heritage, traditions, traits, ideals. Uh, it first comes out of culture. And listen, I've traveled all over the world. And believe me, cultures are totally different around the world. And what they believe and how they live and the things they, they do, totally different. So part of their worldview is based on culture. Another part is based on education. What you've been taught is truth. If you've never been taught the Bible, you've been taught different things. And that isn't true for all. But we're developing a worldview based on our religious beliefs, what you've been taught as a matter of faith. Listen, there's all sorts of religions all over the world, all over the U.S. And they teach something totally different than Jesus Christ as the only one. So their worldview is developed off of that. Or how about this? We're, we're all guilty of this, right? Our, sometimes our worldview is based on our emotions. Right? How we feel about something, uh, the way we react to something, or, you know, sometimes our feelings become so strong that they outweigh logic and truth. Our feelings are like that. They tend to take over truth rather than logic because we get emotional. But here's the thing that we should be basing our biblical worldview on, the Bible. Belief in God's written word and following its teachings. How you and I look at the world is largely shaped by the culture around us. And we, unfortunately, have a bad habit of letting that culture and letting the things of the world and those type of influences dictate some of the ways we we talk, we act, we walk, we talk, rather than everything based on scripture. We have to be very, very careful about that. Because there's a huge mixture in the body of Christ. I see it day in and day out. I mean, it, the same's true when we live in a society that's dominated. Now listen, the last couple of years, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. When the society is dominated by media that's anti-God. 
the culture is ordinarily shaped by the majority of people. Well, the majority of people aren't followers of Christ, are they? So you're going to see this worldview that has nothing to do with truth. And we have to be very careful not to let the anti-God worldview shape or change the way we look at them. And it's, listen, it's hard to do. I have trouble with this myself, right? It's like you get influenced by something or something. Oh, that sounds pretty good. You know, and then you allow that to kind of influence you and then all of a sudden you just deliver you got to go back to scripture. Culture around us is made up of some of everything that's out there. Everything. And like I said, the danger for us is sometimes we become so attached and so enamored to the culture around us that it starts to shape and mold who we are. I'll give you a good example. Social media. Facebook. TikTok. Instagram. My space, your space, my face. I, I don't, I don't do, I don't do social media. I don't, I don't do it. And because I know, I know me. And if I were good on social media, everybody would know my. That's a fact. And I would be right on all those opinions. That's my. That's why I don't do it because I, I have that issue. So I know God would say no, don't do that. But we are super, super influenced by social media. 46% of the people that are dealing with gender dysphoria, gender confusion, transgender, all those gender things, guess where they were influenced from? 46% influenced from social media. 46% are confused because they're being influenced by people who say, hey, that's okay. You, you be who you want to be. You can do this. You know what? Don't let people tell you. 46%. We're allowing social media to dictate and to change the way we think and the way we So we have to be really careful. There's Listen, there's good things about social media. Right? I I mean, I even text. Yeah, I do. My boys used to call me, or I would call my boys, and they wouldn't answer their phone. It just drive me crazy. And uh, they would text me and a note back. I wouldn't respond. I wouldn't respond. And then finally they'd call me and say, Hey, Dad, I texted you like three times. I said, Yeah, you want to talk to me? Call me on the phone. Don't text me. I don't text. I do now a lot, actually. Before, I was just like, This doesn't work for me. I want relationship. I want to talk to somebody. Here. Here's my concern about social media. Uh, I am... That's 16 pilot. You can be whoever you want to be behind a computer screen. And nobody knows who you are. Right? People are much more free to be who they think they are behind a computer screen than they are in public. That's the problem. With, with social media and the internet, you can be whoever you want to be. We need to be careful. So don't let social media influence your biblical worldview. That's what I mean by a mixture. Because that's what happens is we pick these things up from social media or anything. I mean, not just social media, the news, TV, entertainment, Hollywood, The Voice, Dancing with the Stars. I mean, you know, it doesn't make any difference. Those things tend to influence our people. And sometimes we can become, become so enamored with them that we lose sight of the fact that we're not 
God's cause. Listen, Paul, I love Paul. He delivered his sermon on Mars, chapter 17. There was no question about this biblical idea. He was so confident in the word of God and what he believed that he told boldly about God. I mean, it's like, this is who he is, this is who God is. You you have this statue about the unknown God. I know who that guy is, let me tell you who it is. And so he's explaining to them, right? And they listen, and then they wanted to come back and tell him more. But he didn't let any of this outside stuff influence, only the word of God. So here's six things you need to remember about it. The important parts of the biblical world. You've heard them before, but on the Tom Number one, God is the creator of the world and rules the universe. Genesis 1.1. God's the creator of the world and he rules the universe. Number two, the Bible is God's word, listen to me now, for mankind and is completely accurate, including all matters of life and authority. The Bible is God's word for mankind and is completely accurate, including matters of life and order. Because of God and his word, absolute moral truth exists. I'll follow up with you on these. I have scriptures to back them up if you want. But I didn't. Because of God and his word, absolute moral truth exists. Most people would say it is not just absolute. But there is. It's called the word of God. Number four, Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God. He lived the sinless life. He died for our sins. He was buried, rose again from the grave on the third day, and ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of God today. There is no doubt about that. No doubt about it. He's the only begotten Son of God. He lived a sinless life. He died for our sins. He was buried, rose again from the grave. Three days later, Ascended into heaven and seated at the right hand. Number five. And four. Three. Because of God and his word, absolute moral truth exists. Listen, guys. We have to have that settled in our heart. We have to have that settled in our spirit. That the word of God is the absolute truth. We can't say... Well, I don't really think this part is. Or, I read some of that stuff in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. That's nasty stuff. God annihilating people, wiping people out the wrath of it. Or, yeah, really, come on. Seven days around some building and it just drops? How could that happen? Listen, the word of God is the absolute truth. We have to have that settled in our heart. Otherwise, our biblical worldview, the lens that we're looking at it through, is going to be screwed up. If we just take pieces of scripture. You know, it's like, listen, I'm, I'm a man. I'm not emotional. That, that scripture that says Jesus wept, come on. He cried again. We have to settle in our spirits the word of God is absolute. Number five. This is another thing that has to be said. Satan is a real being. 
He's not some symbol or some mystical. He's a real being. And guess what? He seeks to defeat God. He seeks to defeat God's plan for our life. That's his whole purpose. He seeks to defeat God's plan for our life. He wants to mar the image of Christ so we can't walk in the image of Jesus. He's a real being. Here's the last one, number six. Salvation is obtained solely by individual faith in Christ's work on the cross. And you can't earn it. It's a gift by the grace of God. Salvation is obtained solely by individual faith in Christ's work on the cross. And it can't be earned. It's a gift from God. You just have to accept it. Now here's a couple of dangers facing biblical religion. Not viewing all of life through the Bible. Now I know I know when I say the word all, you think, seriously, everything? All? Yes. All of our life needs to be viewed through the lens of scripture. You can't just take bits and pieces of God's word. The biggest kind of thing among Christians is they say, well, I'll only believe those things about God and allow us really, you know, if, if I can't be accepted by this group of people if I believe this, and I'm, or at least I'll be rejected if I say, we can't live our life like that, because that's only taking a piece of God's word that's going to benefit us, because the whole scripture will benefit us Here's another danger. Viewing opposing worldviews as enemies rather than opportunities. Just because somebody believes something different, just because somebody has a worldview rather than a biblical worldview, doesn't mean that they're bad. It doesn't mean that they're they're not worthy of the word of God. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't go try and help them to understand the truth and evangelize them. I mean, this is one of the hardest things for me, quite frankly. Because I see somebody, I'll give you the example. This was so bizarre to me. My, my little sister, my dad passed away in November, 92 years old. And so we've been planning his memorial, and we had his memorial on January 9th. I did his memorial. And um, this is so weird to me. I just decided, how? My, my little sister's 65 years old, right? So we're picking, picking songs and stuff for the memorial. And she sent this song. Now, she she's, she says she's an atheist, but she's really there. Because she doesn't need um, So she says, she sends these songs. I think, my mom and dad used to go to Hawaii all the time, and there was a guy over there that was a musician. They called him around, beautiful music. And so we, he was going to come over and play, actually, and then I got COVID. The week he was but so we had this music for it. And one of this 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 song, she found this song. It's a beautiful song. It's got hallelujah, singing hallelujah. And so she sent it to me. This would be a great song. Okay, I'm listening. So I start listening. It starts talking about David and Bathsheba, and, you know, that kind of stuff and the sin. And I was like, for a funeral? For my dad? I was like, no, this is not going to work. So I said, yeah, I'm just like, so I send a note back to my sister. I said, Lori, listen, I said, I like the song and the music and stuff, but I said, it's talking about David and Bathsheba. 
she sends a number. I guess it's like, really? She sends me a note back. She goes, who's that? And I'm like, how could anybody? I, I, this is just my thinking, right? How could anybody, 65 years old, never have heard of David and Bathsheba? I'm just like, isn't that like just a common story that the world knows? She didn't have any idea who they were. And so, I sent her a note back. I said, David Bathsheba, you know, she was on the rooftop and kind of just explained to her a high level, you know. And, uh, you know, then, you know, David, you know, they had a baby in the future. Figures, Christians. And I was like, oh, no, are you kidding me? You know, yeah, they're just like everybody else. But I'm just like, seriously, you don't know who David Bathsheba is? I'm just like, okay, I'm not even going to waste time. That, that's kind of the way I felt, right? Because I've been trying to evangelize my sister. It's really great. So this is my trouble, you know, where I was like, ah, sometimes it's like, mm. and then I step back and say, like, oh, is that what God looks like? You're not worth it? Listen, I've created everything. Everything. We need to start looking at every single person as they're built and made and given like this. Christ. And if they're just falling a little short, if they need the truth, they need to figure out ways to come around They're made in the image of the Christ. So we got to get off the defensive, get on the offensive first. And start speaking the truth to you. I mean, listen, it says 2 Corinthians 4 4. This is the problem with the world, right? Whose minds, the God of this age, has blinded who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. How would it shine on them? By us shining the light of the scripture. So that's kind of what a biblical worldview in a second. Our lens needs to be crucial. All this is good. Amen? Okay. So let me, I just want to just want to build a little bit on this Genesis 1. I want to give you some thoughts on how we start looking at this biblical worldview through Scripture. Because everything we do, we need to go take that language Scripture and say, okay, what does God say about it? What, how does that look? So let's look at Genesis 1, 2, 3. I'm going to I'm going to surmise, I'm just going to summarize what Genesis 1, 2, and 3 is and give you some thoughts about well, how do we look at the world through that scripture, right? So Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Here's what it says. In the beginning, God. Right? I mean, is there anything else? In the beginning, God. That's the very first line of scripture. That should say it all. In the beginning, God. And then it says, He created the heavens and the earth. Everything was without form, void, and darkness. God is forever eternal from beginning to end. In the beginning, God. And then it says, And the Spirit of God was up. What do we do? How do we create And then it says, then God said, he spoke. You know how many times it says that in chapter 1? 
11 times. Just this something once. If it says this twice, you probably ought to pay attention. What do you think if he says it 11 times? It might mean something, right? Then God said, I, you know what? I was listening on, a, on the way here. You know that song? I mean, you probably know the bad words. I mean, might not like it. Those songs? They've been, in, they've been in the news, right? So, you know that song, um, that hundred billion times? Um, it's called So Will I, Thank You. So that was on, that was, I have Pandora. Pretty cool, huh? Old guy like me, got Pandora. It's like, yeah. So, Cat Barrett Radio, that's Anyway, so that song came on the way here. Isn't that true? that song No, it says that when God spoke, a hundred billion galaxies came into existence. When God spoke, his breath filled a hundred billion creatures. When God spoke, it's like all the, the Genesis chapter, right? It's like... We should hear that song and we do not realize how awesome that is. We, we have taken God's creation and what he's done for granted. I'm driving up I-90 and I'm looking out the mountains and the, and, the, and the snow and the trees and it's just like, oh God, but still the scripture says the mountains declare his majesty. And when we see those mountains every time we should say, God, you are majestic. You are awesome. Every time I see a mountain, I'm going to be reminded of how majestic you are. We need to start preaching the gospel to ourselves. That's what we're missing in our life. We hear it from other people. We go to Sunday, we go to Sunday service. We go to Salt. And we're hearing these things. But do we ever preach it to ourselves? We need to start speaking the word into our lives and start living it. But I'm listening to that song. You know how many times I play I hear you know how many times I hear you know fifteen times on the way here. Just to feed my spirit with the fact that everything that he did he spoke. And a hundred years. You know the end of that song says this. And when he spoke a hundred million failures. So we got failures in our life. Guess what? 100 billion You know how many pages are? Hold on. You don't want to know my first It's quite disgusting. But I've been in the region. There's 100 billion failures of This is not part of my message, but it just happened. Ugh. Sometimes I'll get off track. So, then God said, 11 times in chapter 1, then God said, it's like, did God speak to you? Listen, God is still speaking. He is not silent. We, we act like he doesn't speak. We act like he's silent, but he's, he's still speaking. He was speaking to me just by me looking at the mountain. He spoke. That's who I am. He speaks today. So day one, what did God say? Let there be light. And what happened? The light and he, he saw that it was what? 
And he divided the light from darkness, called them day and night, and evening and morning were the first day. Does that sound kind of weird? We don't see anything different about that first day. He doesn't think like we do. Evening and morning. What do we think? Morning and evening. Morning. God says evening and morning. Evening and all six days. Evening and morning. You know what that says to me? Hey, sometimes there's darkness before light comes in. Sometimes there's going to be darkness before you see it. God did the day of the sun that I gave him the sun. There's a reason. There's got to be a reason. There's a reason behind everything that they do. Then he created the firmament. And in the midst of the waters, divided the waters above and below the firmament, he called it heaven. You look up. Outside, that's basically the firmament. You're looking at Day three, created dry land and seas, let the earth bring forth grass, yield seed and fruit, yield fruit. How? Alyssa, I'm not, this is another thing you need to give in the spirit. How? Listen to the statement you're going to hear. It's going to be repeated 11 times again. Another statement that he repeats 11 times. Yields seed and fruit that yields fruit according to its kind. That's really important. I'm going to tell you why. According to its kind. Whose seed is in itself. According to its kind, whose seed is in itself. Remember that. What's it going to do with it? Hold on, I'm going to tell you. Then the earth brought forth grass and the tree that yields fruit. Whose seed is in itself according to its kind. He says it again. So, okay, why are you repeating yourself? And then God saw that it was good. And evening and morning were third day. And then the fourth day, lights to divide the day from night, signs, seasons, days, years, two great lights, the sun and the moon, the stars. And God saw that it was evening and morning were the fourth day. Listen, I believe, and it's like, it doesn't make any difference whether you believe this or not, it doesn't have any meaning salvation. I believe it was a literal seven days that God created the earth. 24 hours. It's like, how did we get today, 24 hour days, seven days a week, 30 to 31 days? How did we get that? A monkey created that after we came to the monkey? I mean, how did we get 24 hour days, seven days a week? How did we get that? It just didn't happen. God's creative process created. That's why I think it was actually a literal 24 hours. It could have been, you know, one scripture says that a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. One day could have been a thousand years. I don't think so. Because we have this process today that's 24 hours a day, separate years. All right here in the very beginning, we should have this lens of how we're creating our world. Day four. Lights, drive, day, night, day five. Fill the seas with living creatures according to its kind. Birds fly above the earth according to its kind. Created every living thing that moves on the waters according to its kind. God saw that it was good and said, Hey, you guys be fruitful and multiply. And the evening and morning was the fifth day, and God said, 
It was good. Come on, baby, shot. It was good. This is good stuff. This is good stuff. So day six. Then he says this. Let the earth bring forth the living creatures according to its kind. Cattle, creeping things, beasts of the earth, each. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth, cattle, and everything that creeps on the earth. To what? According to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Now, why is that so important? Here's why it's so important. Darwin's theory of evolution. So this is this biblical worldview versus the worldview, right? Because Darwin's theory of evolution is scientifically true. That's what they say, right? So Darwin's theory of evolution is this, that all species, no matter what they are, came from one species. And that other species can produce other kinds of species. Not according to the scripture. All that apple tree can ever produce is what? Why? The seed is in the apple. And it's according to... I've never seen a, a, a cow produce a duck. I've never seen a horse produce a sheep. I've never seen a, a fish produce a, a, a cow. It just doesn't happen. Why? Because the seed of each one of those species is in its kind. That's why Darwin's theory of evolution would never fit. Because the creation process says no. Only after its own kind. You can't have anything else. But we want to think about, well, evolution, theory of evolution? My daddy's a monkey. Not according to scripture. That's why it's so important to base our worldview on the Bible according to its kind. And then he said this: Let us make man in our image and likeness, according to our likeness. What was God saying here? According to its kind, in our image and likeness. God given dominion over everything. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God he created him. Male and female, he created them. Blessed them, said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, have dominion over everything. And God said, see, I've given you every herb, every tree, every beast, every bird, every creeping thing. God saw everything he made, and indeed he said it was very good. Very good. So the evening and morning were the same. So what does that tell you? He created man in his image and likeness. And he created them, what did I say? Male and female. He didn't create them male and male. He didn't create them female and female. He didn't create them binary, non-binary, whatever all the other acronyms are. He, she, me, they, them. He didn't do any of that. Listen, that's why there's so much confusion going on. Because people don't know the truth. When you look at the Word of God through that lens, and He says, I created man, I created a male and female, there should be no confusion. There's confusion because there's no truth. Because what does the world say? You can be whoever you want to be, whatever you want to be, whatever you want to be. And it's like, oh, not according to Scripture. Now, 
What's our responsibility? Come alongside and say, brother, listen, God has a better plan for you. I understand why you're confused. Because the world's totally screwed up. But listen to what God has for you. I mean, we don't we don't reject people, we don't talk down to them, we don't ridicule them for what they believe. Our responsibility is to come alongside and love them into the kingdom of God. To give them the truth. That's who we're supposed to be. Truth givers. Right? But it's all right here in scripture from the very beginning. Everything was finished, God ended his work. It, he says it again, which he had done. It didn't come out of primordial ooze. It didn't come out of an ape. It didn't, which he had done. He blessed the seventh day. He sanctified it. And then he rested. And God had made and created everything. What it says in Scripture. It's like, it's, it's plain death. It's plain death. Then it says that God formed man out of the dust of the ground. You know the story. Adam and Eve and all that stuff happened. And, you know, it, and then it, it, they came together and it says, the two shall become one flesh. And in that scripture, I was like, okay, wait a second, I don't see anything in here about marriage. But he uses the word wife about Eve in that very first scripture. And husband, and he said, and he should be different. What does that mean? Well, man and woman covered, and, and she has children. Well, inside of marriage, sex is good. I mean, Michael talked about that a couple of weeks ago. But it's right here in Scripture. The whole thing. How do we form this worldview without knowing from the very beginning in Genesis what it says? You understand what I'm talking about? I mean, this is, this is awesome stuff to me. It's like, okay, but... Why did God do all that? What's the big... He did it so his power and his wisdom and his goodness would be on constant display. How can I get it? For his will. Listen, we... I build stuff. In fact, I have a t-shirt that says that. I'm a dad and I build stuff. I, I all these do-it-yourself projects. And, uh, I take my granddaughter to... Home Depot the first Saturday of every month because we have a new builder project. So we go build stuff. Listen, I can build all sorts of things. I've never created anything. Ever. None of us have. We build. We have plans if we read the book. Mindo. But we don't create things. We build things. God is the creator. To say that God created this universe and everything in it, is simply to say this, exactly what he says to me, God is God. In the beginning, God. And if God created the world, and he did, then everything is defined by that reality. Everything. And he's worthy of our constant awe and submission and obedience. But listen, I, I said this already, i got to say this. We have taken creation for granted. We get up every day and walk out and see what's out there. It's like just another day. I mean, the sun could, well, not in Washington, but when the sun comes out, I mean, 
And this we need to start looking at creation with an awe and a wonder and a love and start appreciating because everything in creation displays the glory of God. We need to start seeing that. We need that love, that biblical worldview, to really start understanding and appreciating who God is. Psalms 24, when the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and all those who are is all God's. So this doctrine of creation that we're talking about, it's not just about the origins of the universe, but it's about how we think and how we approach everything in our life. We live in God's world as God's possessions. Handling God's things, this truth should call us to surrender everything we are, everything we have, to the ownership of God, and to live like nothing belongs to us. It's hard to do, but that's what God's calling us to do, is to live like nothing belongs to us. And I'll tell you this, when you do that, when you start to submit and start turning things over to God and start being obedient, things will change in your life. Your heart will change, your spirit will change, your, your attitude about things will change. You and I were created by God for God. What's Cascade say all the time? You were created on purpose for what? A purpose, right? Absolutely we were. And listen, nothing good ever happens and in our hearts, we put creation where the creator belongs. And we make that mistake. Because we, we replace God's glory with the glory of God. And you know what scripture says that God won't share his glory with anybody? Isaiah 42 8. I am the Lord, that is my name. We're going to talk a little bit about that tomorrow. And my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carve images. You won't share it. Because it's all about them. So what, 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 let me just summarize. It's a war. It's, it's a war for control of our thoughts, our desires, our words, our actions. It's a glory war is what it is. And you know what? Sometimes we can be glory warriors. We want that glory for ourselves. We want that recognition. We want that pat on the back. We want to be this. And listen, there's nothing wrong with that. As long as it's about turning it back to God. Because you couldn't do anything without giving me the glory. I couldn't do anything without giving me the glory. If we start investing our time and our energy and our money and our actions and our heart, into these things for what God wants us to if we, if we start relating to people in our life in a different way, if we form the way we think and, and the way we pursue things in our life according to a biblical world, according to the ones of Scripture, it will shape our attitude towards the own, what we have, who we are, the way we relate, and what we do. Everything, I, I can tell you this, everything in our life is shaped by some kind of glory. It's either God's glory or it's our own. Here's the question. Will your life be ruled by God's glory or the pursuit of your own glory? That's a tough question to answer. 
but it's something we need to be asking ourselves. Will my life be ruled by God's glory or the pursuit of your own glory? Every single one of us, every single one of us are the product of God's craft. He made. By the way, here this is just popping in my head. I'm going to say it to you. Here's another thought about a biblical worldview. Abortion. Well, you know, sometimes people make mistakes. When did life begin? Here's what scripture says. Before I knew, before you knew me, I formed you. Before you were in the womb, I needed you together. When does conception start? That's a really hard question. Now, when you start thinking about scripture, because from eternity past to eternity this way, God already had a plan. Every single person that was born. And you know what? Every single person that's been born. He knew who that was. Well, wait, wait, how, how does God allow that? It's God allows us to have choice. Right? We, we have choice. We make choices. We live in fallen world. Adam and Eve sinned, and they took the whole world into sin with them. Every one of us. We live in a world of sin. Well, how does evil happen? Sin. Well, why does God allow that choice? He's not going to, he doesn't want to give anybody else. We have choice. And when we make choice, there's a consequence to our choice. So we have to be very careful about our biblical way of doing And the thing is we need to think about is how we look at abortion drug, murder. And conception begins when God says, I think it's when the sperm and the egg meet, right? But God has a process. We have to be careful. By the way, I can talk about that because listen, I got a girl pregnant when I was 21 years old and she had me. That's one of the disgusting things I I offered to marry her. She said no. She didn't want to have a kid. And she had me. Broke my heart for you. I didn't, my wife didn't know anything about it until 20 years after her. And just got this crust on my So I know. Listen, abortion doesn't mean anything. It affects the man. Not as bad as it, but it affects the man if you have any abortion. I've been forgiven, I've been redeemed, I've got dealt with me on that issue. But I, I can talk to you. I know what it means. We're the part of God's presence. And here's what we should always be at. These few questions. This isn't going to be a question. But I want you to Especially in the light of Romans, but not being conformed to the world, adding to the world. You ask me to do anything. You need to be asking yourself just every single Who is God? We need to define that. Who is God? We can say, listen, God's sovereign, He's the Redeemer, He's the Savior, He's uh, name some of the other things you know. Powerful. He's my high tower. What else? The Lord of God. What else? The omniscient, omnipresent. Right? We we can say all those things. That's who you 
What does that mean for you? And we can say those words, but if we don't know what they mean, if we don't, if we can't define them in our life, if we can't say, God is that no matter what happens in my life, God is in control. He, at some way, somehow, He's going to use all that, Romans 8, 28, 29, for my good. Every, listen, I fell 12 feet off the ladder, busted my pelvis in two, I was in the hospital for 10, 15 days, had major surgery, bracket screws, I, I mean, I'm put together like a little robot now. No, it's just like, and so it's like, I'm thinking, okay, is there a purpose in that? I mean, I was in a wheelchair for three and a half months, I couldn't walk, no weight on this leg for four months, 50% on this leg, I couldn't do anything. And I'm like, there's a purpose in this? And guess what? <laughs> Through that process, God starts talking to me about my dependence on myself on certain things. But I'm too independent. But I need, need to be more dependent on Him. And I need to start interacting more with my community and getting involved in help from them rather than trying to do everything on my own. Because it's like, I can do it because I'm the only one that can do it. Ooh. Right. Right? So it's like, I joke sometimes. I think, yeah, I know now why you're knocking out for that. He didn't. It was just a freak accident. But I mean, there were some things in that that at the time it happened, it's like, I'm so goodness. But guess what? It's, his good is transforming me more and more into the image and likeness of Christ. Who is God? We need to define that in our life. And I mean define it. Who is God? What does Scripture say about God? Who he is? We're going to all, Sunday, I'll give you some ideas on how to do that. Here's the second question. Once we define who he is in our lives, do we truly understand who he is? Second question is this. Who am I? Who am I? If, if, if I get all this and understand who God is, what does that mean for me? Who am I? I thought I dropped this or something. Who am I? We need to define who, who we are. In light of God, in light of His Word, who am I? And that question needs to start at number one. I am created in the image and likeness of God. What does that look like? How do I know it? And the third question is this. Once we know who God is, who do we know? Once we start to say, okay, who start to understand who I am in the light of God and in the light of God's words and by the Spirit of God. The question is, what's my purpose? What is my purpose? Why am I here? Why did God create me? What does He want me to do? We're not here just to live 60, 70, 80, 90 years and die. Eat, drink, and be merry. That's not why God has us here. Does God want us to enjoy life? Absolutely. Does God give us opportunities for fun and games? Absolutely. God's not a killjoy. It's like there's a scripture that says the joy of the Lord is my strength. The righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit is the kingdom of God. So there's all sorts of things. But what is my purpose? We need to know that because if we don't know what my purpose is, what our purpose is, we're not going to live our lives the right way. We're not going to walk the way God's called us to walk if we don't believe in the light of who God is, 
Because guess what? God has a purpose for every seed that comes. A specific purpose for everything. No doubt about it. And we can find out what that is. Amen? Let me pray first. Father, thank you that you are a loving God. God, I thank you that you, your heart is for everyone else. That you will never leave us, you will never forsake us. Father, I ask that you would just by your voice, by the truth of your word, these things that are stirring in my spirit, I know every time I get a chance to talk, you speak to me before I ever speak to anybody else. All these things you're speaking to me that you would speak to all of us. We would really begin to understand what you want from us, who you are, what's up. That we begin to look at life through the word. That we begin to find everything that is in us, everything we do, everything we say, our actions, our words, we begin to be defined by scripture. If there's mixture, that you would show us what that mixture is. We need to Father, we don't want to make sure we want to be walking in the truth of your life. Father, would you begin to mold us and make us and shape us into the image and likeness of your eyes? That's your number one purpose. Not about the rest of the things that you Father, do your word in us. So I just ask you to bless this weekend, bless this time. Also, just thank you for the joy. We will enjoy this weekend. It's fun. It's fun. We do it because you love us. Christ.